to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? In our continuing narrative of this meeting with Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus, to this point, has given several illustrations to help Nicodemus understand what he meant when he said you must be born again. But we know that the scriptures teach that no one can truly understand the spiritual truths of salvation unless the Holy Spirit of God reveals them to an individual. This is certainly true uh, in the Old Testament as well as the New. Psalm 53, verse 2, God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none that does good, not even one. Paul quotes this same passage in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, to simply say that there is no one that actually naturally understands what it means to be born again. It is only God's grace that brings about understanding to the hard, dead hearts of sinners. The Apostle Paul writes to the Colossians, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you and indeed is in the whole world bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood what? Understood what? The grace 
of God. The very fact that we're here this morning and that we are saved and that we understand what scriptures teach about the new birth is by the grace of God. We did not have that understanding naturally or innately. It came to us from God through his word. After speaking in very clear terms to Nicodemus, Jesus questions Nicodemus' position and responsibility as a teacher in Israel. And he says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? Nicodemus, we have to understand who Nicodemus was. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a, he would have been considered, as Paul said, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a teacher, a notable, distinguished teacher in Jerusalem. But in this case, in this instance, he showed himself to be an unlearned novice when it came to truly spiritual matters. J.C. Ryle, the great bishop of the past, writes these words. Consider these verses show us, firstly, what gross spiritual ignorance there may be in the mind of a great and learned man. We see a master of Israel unacquainted with the first elements of saving religion. All these highly educated people in places of spiritual leadership, and yet they knew nothing of the grace of God. Across our nation and around the world today, particularly across America, in our institutions of education, our theological seminaries, our Bible colleges... There are professors, there are doctors with PhDs and THDs and THMs and doctors of education that know nothing about the saving grace of God. And they're teaching a generation of young people that will go out knowing nothing of the grace of God. And they'll be pastoring churches and they'll be leading spiritual hierarchies. This was the case with Nicodemus and the Pharisees. This darkness was the state of the Jewish people and the state of our generation as well. It is the blind leading the blind. And what did Jesus say happens to them? They both fall into the ditch. They don't know. They don't know how to walk or where to walk they cannot see. High ecclesiastical offices are no proof of guarantee of spiritual understanding. I remember one time preaching a I remember one time preaching a funeral uh, of a uh, I think it was a mother of one of the people that used to go here years ago. And the mother was Catholic, and so uh, the her son asked me to preach the funeral. Well, 
when I got there, it was, the whole place was full of Catholic priests. And so I, I preached a gospel message. And you could feel the th- air thickening as the gospel went forth. And here are, here are people who are highly educated. Leading people supposedly spiritually and yet know nothing about the gospel of Christ. The successors of Nicodemus are far more prevalent than the successors of grace. There are far more of them than there are those who are truly believing. They stumble over the same gospel truths that Nicodemus stumbled over. They are offended at the same gospel message that crushes human effort and brings the sinner to his knees. Why? Because the natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to them. And they cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. Nicodemus' mind was so dulled by his own sense of self-righteousness and his own lofty position that the only thing he can utter after Jesus has explained what it means to be born again, the only thing he can utter is, how can these things be? Did you ever meet anyone like that? Notice that he keeps asking the same questions over and over. In verse 4, how can? Or can he? Verse 9, how can? Over and over again. The more accurate statement of verse 9 is, how are these things able to happen? He uses the word dunamis, which means To have the ability to do something or bring something to pass. How can these, how can these, how are these things able to happen? Giving, giving only thought to that which is human and no thought to that which is supernatural and omnipotent. Because he does not know the omnipotent one. He is not expressing so much doubt, but he is voicing, I think, a desire to understand what Jesus meant by those things and how they would come to pass. And yet at the same time, unwilling to think of them in spiritual terms. God has not opened his eyes. He is still lost in his sins and the only thing that nicodemus needs is the same the thing that he needs is the same thing that people need today they need to have a replacement of the old things that have dominated their minds all their lives nicodemus whole life is wrapped up in himself and his religious experience his religious his religious system New truth, 
and old thinking, old human thinking cannot reside in the same place. For the new truth will push out the old. As 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. Some of you young people here today have been brought up in a system of education that has taught you uh, from from the world's standard. Going to state schools and then to state colleges, you hear... You hear things from a purely secular vantage point. From a purely anti-God worldview. And that's why it's important that you understand life from a biblical worldview. And that you gauge your life by that. Nicodemus' old human thinking must be replaced. But he could not let go of his legalistic and ritualistic religious order which held him captive. This is true of so many today. But I'm a good Lutheran. But I'm a good Baptist. But I'm a good Catholic. And they can't let go of it. But I've been baptized. But I've given to the church. I've served. Nicodemus was, as Acts 26.18 describes, under the dominion of Satan, as is every unbelieving person. His human, the human mind under this domination is only capable of thinking in fallen human terms. That's why Nicodemus keeps asking over and over, how can this be? How can this be? These things are not natural. No, they're not. They're supernatural. It's a great lesson for us. For our minds have been enlightened by the word of God. And because of that, we are to set our minds on heavenly things and allow truth to dominate our thinking rather than the fallen thinking of this mortal life. Believe you me, the hype of our of our society today fights against every fiber of spiritual thinking that you could make. And we need to see the world as it really is before and through God's eyes. Through scripture. It's the only way to understand it in reality. It's the only way to live for Christ in a world that is ever increasingly becoming darker and darker. Paul tells the Philippians. Turn to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Look at verses 7 And eight, I want you to tie two words together here. Philippians chapter four, very familiar verse to all, passage to all of us. Philippians four, seven. And the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, if there's anything of praise, worthy of praise, think about these things. Now connect the word think to the word mind. In other words, Paul is saying, that is, if you're, if you're thinking about things that are true and honorable, if you, if you're thinking about things that are just, if you're, if you're thinking about purity and, and loveliness and things that are commendable, if you're thinking about excellent things, praising God in them, then your minds and your hearts will be guarded. But if you don't, the thinking of the world will creep in. And before you know it, you're thinking just like them. Isaiah Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So at this point... We come in verse 10 that Jesus chides Nicodemus with a statement that would have gotten anyone else in trouble. You have to remember who Nicodemus was. He was a very respected and renowned Pharisee. When he walked down the street, people would part to let him through. They would bow before him. He was one of those that would stand on the street corner And look holier than everyone else. Nicodemus must have begun to realize that he had no answers. To the the bold declarations of Christ. And he now is running out of excuses. And his seeming doubts have turned out. Have turned now to outright refusal Uh, these things are not able to happen that's really what he's saying we would say it like this no way no way Jesus uses in verse 10 the definite article with the word teacher you are the teacher which singles which singles him out as the main, if not the main, one of the main teachers of Israel, one of the most esteemed teachers in Israel. And yet he appears to be impervious to spiritual understanding. When you're taught by someone, you want to at least think that that person knows what they're talking about. Otherwise, you begin to lose confidence in what they're in them and possibly what they're saying to you. The knowledge of these things, this of the new birth, should have should have keyed in Nicodemus' mind Old Testament scriptures that taught this from the Old Testament vantage point. 
Scriptures like 1 Samuel 10, verse 6, when the Spirit of the Lord, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Turned into another man. Does that sound like maybe being born again? Isaiah 32, verse 15, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field deemed a forest. In other words, it's going to grow. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all of your idolatry. Jeremiah 31, for this is the covenant I will make in those days after... As declares the Lord, I will put my laws within them. I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. What about Joel chapter 2? Should he not have remembered when God said, It shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Jesus has told him these things from an Old Testament standpoint but Nicodemus should have been able to put two and two together but he was not able to because his heart was not alive and he could not think in spiritual terms Paul states in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that it was the Old Testament scriptures that made Timothy wise unto salvation Nicodemus was certainly an example of the unbelief of the Jewish nation, but he is also an example of the unbelief of humanity that is lost and dead in sin. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul speaks of, Paul speaks of this deadness and unbelief in Romans 10 verses 2 and 3. Speaking of his, of his Jewish ancestors and of the Jewish people, he writes this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What does he mean by that? He means the same thing that we would say when we see religious people who don't, who don't know Christ. Mary and I were talking about it this morning. We have people in our family who profess a religion of Christianity, but don't know Christ. They're lost. And they don't understand spiritual concept of salvation. And yet, they are leading people And training people in spiritual things. I bear them witness they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. The Jews believed with zeal and mental assent. The scriptures. Jesus even said to them. You have the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life. But they speak about me. 
They refused to believe that. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They believed with zeal and mental assent, but not in accordance with what the scriptures taught. For being ignorant, he says, verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. Oh, there you go. That's the real problem, is it not? People who are religious and have a, a zeal for religion and yet do not know anything about the righteousness of God. What do they turn to? They turn to their own righteousness. They use, they use themselves. But I have. But I did. But I can. They have an eye problem. Nicodemus, Jesus was not sparing when it came to exposing the fallacies and the errors of empty religion of the Jews. He didn't spare any words. Turn to Matthew 23. Nicodemus, like the nation, were wrapped in legalism and in works-based religion. See, that's what it's all about. It's about what, it's about what people can do. It's about what they can do. Not about what Christ has done. Salvation is only in what Christ has done. It is not in what we can do. We have no ability to do anything. He has ability to do everything and has done everything. Works-based religion can save no one. It only makes the heart harder and the thinking more numb to truth. Listen to what Jesus said, starting Matthew 23, verse. look at verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So that's where they're seated, on Moses' seat. They see themselves as the, the spiritual leaders of the nation. Drop down to verse 13. This is where Jesus really begins to to pour it out on them. But woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, when you call somebody a hypocrite to their face, most people don't like that. Because you're seeking to expose something about them that's false or fake. So Jesus calls them hypocrites. Notice, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You shut them up. Drop down to verse 15. You scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. Look at verse 16. Woe to you blind guides, you say. So now they're doing. They're doing. You shut, you travel, and now you say, you speak. And you speak about the temple, and you speak about 
the gold of the temple. You are blind fools, Jesus said. Look at verse 18. You say, they speak about the altar and the oaths that are made at the altar. You say, you do. Look at verse 23. You hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law. You should have done these things, he says, without neglecting the other. They neglected the most important thing. They were good at doing. They were good at saying. But human doing and saying does not bring salvation. Look at verse 25. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Look at verse 28. You, you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of righteous, of the righteous. You're doing all these things and they are absolutely worthless. I can't think of anything more empty and disappointing than living a life when thinking that they're right with God when all the time it's just them doing it. That was Nicodemus. He was one of the He was one of the top leaders of this self-righteous group. His lack of understanding is a testament to what religion without Christ does to a person's spiritual perception. You've seen it. People who are very religious but don't know Christ. And you talk to them about spiritual things and their eyes sort of glaze over and they just sort of, it's like... It's not penetrating. You know, the lights are on. Nobody's home. Nicodemus didn't understand these things that Jesus said. Because he had never experienced them. And when you talk to people who are religious and been in church all their lives. And they've, they've been in Sunday schools and they've. Even I've had people even say to me, "Well, but I've I've taught Sunday school." Uh, okay, so what's that supposed to do for you? I remember speaking to an elderly woman one time who was bitter and hateful, claimed to be a Christian her whole life, and when confronted about her attitude, you know what she said to me. I've taught Sunday school my whole life. I said, I'm not talking to you about teaching Sunday school. I'm talking to you about your attitude, about your your hatefulness to others. But I've I've been I've been in church my whole life. And I began to be very worried that this person maybe didn't know Christ. When a person knows Christ, the first thing out of their mouth should be 
the Lord, not what I've done, but what the Lord's done. All Nicodemus knew and all Nicodemus understood was dead religion. And after saying these things in chapter 25 that we just read that Jesus said to the Pharisees, in chapter 26, this is what it says. Then the chief priest and elders and the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. You say, oh, people wouldn't come to that. Not today. We're living in a different time. Well, if you think that, you are not only mistaken, you're deluded. It takes that much for people to snap to that. One thing is for sure. Nicodemus would never forget this clandestine meeting that he had with Jesus. There is no evidence at this point that Nicodemus became a Christian. But there is evidence later on in John's writings that seem to indicate that he did. Which is another lesson for us. When we, when we witness to someone or we give someone the gospel and they walk away and they're un, still unbelieving, you don't know what, that, what God's going to do with that seed that you planted. Someday someone will come along and water that seed and perhaps God will give and grant repentance to that person and bring them to the knowledge of truth. So keep on witnessing it. Keep on testifying to it. Keep on preaching it. Now notice verses 11 and 12. I'm just going to introduce this. Because we have plenty of time left. Jesus said in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Question, what is the greatest lie that Satan has used to keep mankind in the darkness of sin and under the dominion of his rule? What's the greatest lie he has used? Oh, there are many lies. We hear them all the time. Our society and culture have espoused Many avenues of solution to the problems that relentlessly perplex humanity. We hear them all the time. Education. We need more education. If we can just educate people. And look what education has done to our world. Education is not, is not the answer. Well, science. Science is the answer. I mean, just follow the science. Are we not hearing that today? And yet they're not following the science. And even if they are following science, science is not the answer to the real problem. 
Economic prosperity. If we just had more prosperity, everything would change. And so now they think if we go to a socialistic system, that bringing everybody down on the same level, it'll solve all the problems. And that'll only create more problems. Mechanization, medical advancement, technology. These are all touted as the answers for the ills of the world. It is true that great advancements have been made towards a more comfortable and less labor-intensive lifestyle. That's certainly true. But progress of humanity has not changed the heart. Man's heart is still as wicked, as dark and dead as it ever was. People are still just as immersed in self and sin as they were from the very first day that Adam sinned in the garden. Nothing has changed. As the answer to man's problems... These things are lies. Education is a lie. Science is a lie. They're all lies. So what is the answer? Well, it is still true that there is none righteous. No, not even one, as Romans 3.10 tells us. People of all nationalities are still sinners. Guilty before a righteous God, according to Romans 5 verse 8. It is still true that regardless of people, what people think or what people say, God is still the judge who will hold people accountable before his throne for their sins. Psalm 711, Acts 1042. But what's the greatest lie? What is the lie of all lies? It is this. That ever since man fell into sin and was alienated from God, the biggest lie that Satan has foisted upon humanity is one that says people can come to God on their own terms. That's the biggest lie. I can come to God on my own terms. You've heard it. I've heard it. In statements like, Well, well, you know, when I'm ready, I'll I'll do that. No, you won't. I tell people, no, you won't. Just straight out. You won't. Because God won't receive you on your own terms. Well, I'll, I'll come when the time is right. No, you won't. Because God won't receive you when you think the time is right. That lie follows people straight to hell. It takes the broad road that leads to destruction. And it is a hopeless state and a helpless condition. Listen to what MacArthur writes with regard to this. He writes, they are dead In their trespasses and sins, unable to accept or understand spiritual truth because the God of this world has blinded their minds so that they are not able to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They are the enemies of God. 
alienated from him, disobedient to him, ignorant of him, hostile to him, unloving toward him, haters of him, rebellious toward him, and subject to his wrath. They are on the path of to destruction because they hate the light of spiritual truth and hence are blind to it. As children of Satan, they live under Satan's control, being members of his kingdom and by nature children of wrath. Thus, they are slaves to sin and corruption, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Is that not a hopeless state? Is that not a helpless condition? That's lost humanity. They live all around us every day. And many of them, many thousands and thousands of them are spiritual leaders. Just like Nicodemus. Religious ritual and rule keeping. Moral outlook and social service and generosity cannot save anyone. Nicodemus struggled to accept the fact that his life, his religion, his moral aptitude and his station in life were not enough to make him right with God. He struggled. I, but but I've done these the, all these things. My, look who I am. I am a teacher in Israel. Yeah, Jesus knew that. And he, like so many thousands of others of unrepentant that are unrepentant, went away from that meeting condemned before God. Think of it. He stood face to face with the word of life and departed as a dead man. Unbelief was his problem and it is the problem of all sinners. It is the thing that finds people ultimately in hell is unbelief. Jesus now addresses that problem in verse 11. We speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And that's where we'll continue next time in this gospel. You know, there are people who call themselves, who profess to be Christian, who would be very upset with this sermon that I've preached this morning. But you know what I find? I find that those who know Christ, they don't mind hearing what the Scriptures actually have to say about salvation. In fact, they love it. And that makes it a joy to preach. It's a joy to preach no matter, but it's, it's a mu- much more of a joy when you know people love it and he- when they hear it. All right, next week is a special Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, we'll, uh, I won't be in John 3. I think I'm 